Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Bible Ponder for this week. We're continuing our series looking at the book of Galatians, and this evening we're going to be in chapter 4, with a bit of an overlap back into chapter 3, because the chapter division comes um, kind of in the middle of an argument that Paul's making. Throughout this book, he's making kind of an extended argument to the Galatian churches against what he sees as them um, to holding on to sort of a new teaching kind of stroke, an old teaching. Basically, what it seems is, is if there are people coming in telling the Galatian churches that they have to become fully Jewish to um, become Christians, but they're also holding on to some other things. So the glimpse we'll get in this chapter is that um, they're actually also perhaps going back into some old pagan rituals. Basically, it's the, still still the same sort of thing, but they are adding in things, adding in requirements to what it means to be Christian. So one of the reasons that the book of Galatians is really foundational to so much of Christian theology is it, its core message is that it is Christ Jesus alone that provides our salvation, our access to God. And it isn't all of these other little trappings or addings, whether that's going back into the law or pagan rituals or anything else. Nothing else matters other than the core message of Jesus Christ. So what we'll get in this also in this chapter is an extended allegory of Hagar and Sarah. If you remember Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Hagar, Sarah's servant, um, who bears the son Ishmael to Abraham when Abraham has been promised descendants by God and Abraham and Sarah get impatient and they decide to use Hagar as a surrogate. And um, through Hagar, Abraham bears the son Ishmael, who is not granted the promise of God, but instead in her old age, Sarah becomes pregnant with Isaac, and Isaac becomes the son of the promise and the um, ancestor of the nation of Israel. So that is going to be his sort of extended allegory in this, but he's still continuing that same core message that he's been at it from the beginning. Um, he, he's angry and he's frustrated with the Galatian church, but we'll also see in this chapter how much he cares about them and he loves them, and he's not angry at them in a way in which he wants to um, distance himself from them or just chastise them and be mad at them and scream at them, but he cares about them, he loves them, and he wants to see them um, embrace this message of Jesus and let go of these other things that are hindering them or putting them back into slavery, as his analogy goes. So we'll back up a bit into chapter 3 and read from there as sort of a running start. So in chapter 3, verse 26, Paul said this, you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is a child, they are no different from a slave, although they own the whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their father. So too, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of children, because you are children. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And since you are a child, God has made you also an heir. So there's kind of a dual argument going on here. The first is that Paul is, is arguing the difference between the law, which was again in chapter three, he mentioned that sort of um, nanny type um, teacherish sort of person, the, the guardian who would look after the child, but who wasn't quite the teacher, who was a slave, who, who was again, that sort of nanny babysitter type person for, uh, for a young child. And that that was the law, that was the old way, the old world, the old principles, but that now under Christ, we are grown in full heirs and able to achieve the, the full status that that um, entails. For the, the ancient Roman world, a child, even the child of the, you know, the, the wealthy person, the, the state owner, whoever, um, really had, had about the same rights as the average slave. And it wasn't until they were grown and could inherit that estate that they were then granted that that full sort of status. So that's the first sort of argument. The second argument is about the difference between um, a Jew and a Gentile, and that in the old way, the Jews were um, the people of the promise, the people who received everything that God had to offer, and that under Christ, Gentiles now also are heirs. So it isn't just Jews who are heirs, it is also the Gentiles. And so the, those both arguments come to fruition. And now we see his concern for them. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So they're going back into those ways of thinking, and they, they could be, again, a mix of, of pagan and Jewish rituals. So from the sound of a lot of this, they the people who were the main converts in Galatians were not Jews who converted, but were Gentiles who converted. And so part of his frustration is that the Jews are coming along and trying to make them become Jewish before they become fully Christians. But part of his um, then argument here, which is really interesting, is that for Jews especially, they saw themselves as very different than pagans. They didn't do any of those pagan rituals. Yet sometimes in practice, there wasn't much difference in, in these festivals, these special days, these months and seasons. Jews practiced them and pagans practiced them. They just practiced different things. And so in practice to Paul here in his argument, they are the same thing. It doesn't matter whether it's a Jewish festival, whatever, all of these things that you tie yourself to in order to earn salvation, whether it's pagan or Jewish or whatever, it's still unnecessary. It's still something that enslaves you, that pulls you back into that old way of being. And then his line here, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you, um, sort of evokes a, a sense of um, the way the prophets saw their message to ancient Israel, the prophets would often fear that their message was falling on deaf ears. And, and this is kind of Paul having that same feeling that, that he's going through all of this and it's all kind of wasted. He continues, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, or even friends, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And part of the argument in Galatia as a province is 
um, fairly large, and we're assuming that this is written to the churches kind of clustered in South Galatia, who he visits on a journey in Acts. And part of why we think that is, is from here as well, where he says it was an illness. And South Galatia would have been a good area to recover from an illness. It was better weather, and you know how this goes. Sometimes you someone with bad health or, or bad lungs or whatever is going on with an illness needs to move to a different climate. And South Galatia was a good place to recover from what other, whatever illness he was going through. So he says, even uh, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And part of why this is significant that he's encouraging encouraging them is in the ancient world, it was an illness or, or something like blindness or, or all of these sorts of things. And you see that, that blindness thing come up in the Gospels with Jesus and his healing stories. They thought that those were punishments from the gods. And so if you saw someone who was afflicted with an illness like that, you would assume that that was divine punishment. And so you wouldn't want to help them. You wouldn't want to do something for them or to alleviate their suffering because you were then, in a way, sort of defying the gods. And so what Paul himself is saying here in his argument is, look, even when I came to you and I was ill, you didn't treat me like that. You didn't follow those same sorts of superstitions. In fact, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. What has happened to all of your joy, says verse 15, what has happened to all of your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So some have argued that this is a reference to Paul kind of hints here and there at having um, having some kind of bodily condition that really harms him, like a thorn in the flesh or some kind. And later on here, even in Galatians, we'll see that he's got perhaps bad eyesight. Um, we don't know specifically what it is, but this is a verse where some words say, oh, Paul has really bad eyes. He really can't see. Um, but that's not necessarily true from this. Um, the, the phraseology and, and that expression, you would have torn out your own eyes and given it to me, was a common ancient phrase in the same way that um, we might say it costs an arm and a leg. Um, that was a phrase that so you would have done. You know, you would have gone an extra mile for me. Um, so that's not necessarily hinting that he has bad eyes, though we will see that he has bad eyes later. A pretty common condition in a culture in which there are no glasses and, um, again, not good medicine and eyes or something that get infected quite easily. But then again, have I now become an enemy by telling you the truth? One of the things that people did who, when they wanted to convince you, they, they used a lot of flattery. They, they told you what you wanted to hear. And so for Paul, he's saying, look, I'm not telling you what you want to hear, but I am telling you the truth. So don't think of me as an enemy. Don't get mad at me because I'm telling you the truth because I love you, because I care about you. So I really want to see you corrected. I want us to be friends again. I want us all to live in this freedom in Christ together. And so he's not using flattery. He's not buttering them up. He's not telling them what they want to hear just to make them happy. But he is saying, I am telling you the truth because I care. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, the people that use flattery. They're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. 
My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. You can see his deep care and affection for them. He's like, so he's saying he's like a, a mother in childbirth with them. Like, I care about you so much and I wish I could be there. I wish we could all just hug and get past this. And here comes his big extended allegory. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, or according to the flesh, is, is what it would say in Greek. Um, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. There was uh, a lot of references uh, to a sort of new Jerusalem that, that was envisaged in, in Jewish literature as well. And we see that again in the book of Revelation, which at this point is um, not close to being written yet. That's still quite a number of years off. But in Revelation, um, the writer John gives us a glimpse of the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And that, that was a common image for the time of, of this eschatological end times vision of, of a new and free Jerusalem. Um, the, but the Jerusalem that above is free, she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And that's a quote from Isaiah 54. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son. And that's Genesis 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And it's interesting that he makes this argument from that because this um, would have been a text and a story that reinforced um, the Jewish Jewish sense of um, being chosen, of being children of the promise, that um, there was the promised um, descendants to Abraham and that they tried through Hagar to create those descendants, Abraham and Sarah. Um, it wasn't right. It wasn't blessed by God. And so it's actually through Isaac. And so those descendants of Isaac are the chosen people of God and not the Ishmaelites who lived in Arabia that Paul message, or that Paul references there, um, speaking of Mount Sinai. But what Paul does is he kind of changes this argument rather than it being about Gentiles and Jews is he actually makes it about um, the, the descendants of Hagar being the ones born under the slave, and they are the Jews under the law, and that is the children of Isaac, who are the new followers of Christ under the freedom and outside of the law. And so he's he's really taking this this text and that and allegorizing it and using it as a as a different sort of metaphor that I imagine would have made um, the Jewish hearers who were against Paul um, quite quite angry. So that is his, again, his continued argument against this 
adding things in to the message of Christianity, to the message of Jesus that, um, again, the, the end of chapter three, the kind of core of so much of Christian theology, there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is really the centerpiece of the whole book and, and the lens through which all of, of Christian theology should really be viewed. So that's Galatians chapter four, um, kind of an interesting chapter there, um, a bit of different sort of text that we don't often encounter or, or read together much. Um, but I hope that was interesting. We've got two chapters left in Galatians, so please do join us for those last two. If you want to check out any of the other videos, they're all up on YouTube and Facebook under the Bible Ponder playlists. So thanks for joining us this evening. Have a good night.